0: You are listening to the weekly message from Mount Helena Community Church. Celebration services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Gateway Center. Or join us live online at www.mounthelena.cc. How many of you like to wait? I knew there'd be a couple of you. I don't know anybody who likes to wait. Like... None of my friends, as far as I know, kind of go to bed and dream about their day to come the next day and think, I can't wait to go to Starbucks and wait for my drink. I can't wait to drive in traffic behind idiots. (laughs) They can't can't wait to wait. Yeah, I don't know of anybody who's into waiting. Um, This time of year, we do a lot of waiting, uh, particularly with the weather we've had. Traffic slows way down, thankfully, sometimes not slow enough. Um, You maybe find yourself waiting in line to buy Christmas presents. Uh, I've been sick this week, and I had this weird kind of (laughs) sickness, weird sickness, this weird cold that just kind of like killed my voice. I didn't feel that bad, but I had no voice for about three days leading up to this message this week. Um, I actually had to cancel a concert that I had scheduled. And so I was just waiting to be able to speak again. Um, Particularly, I think kids have a hard time this year waiting. Any of your kids uh, poking and prodding the Christmas presents under the tree? My older kids, I have three kids, my oldest kids are doing pretty well with the waiting. They're starting to realize that there's a benefit to, you know, a surprise. But my youngest son, Dolan, who is four, I think we're on our fourth meltdown of the week, Uh, and he's actually doing pretty good in terms of waiting for the presents that we've bought him, but he goes to Awana uh, at Life Covenant Church, this kind of group, this kind of gathering for young kids to learn about God with each other, and they do this thing, this store night, where the kids can buy with Awana Bucks presents, and so Dolan had bought presents for the rest of the family with these Awana Bucks and he could not handle waiting until Christmas for us to open them. And so over the course of a couple days and three major breakdowns, we finally opened the kind of funny little presents that he bought for us. I got a tool, and it's like a screwdriver-sized ratchet thing with no attachments. (laughs) So pretty cool, pretty cool. But I think being a kid is, is kind of all about waiting. If I, I'm Trying to remember when I was a kid, and it just seemed like everything was everything good was off in the distance. Everything good was ahead. You know, you had to wait until you got a little older, until you could have a later bedtime. We didn't have cell phones when I was a kid, but I know kids today can't wait to get a cell phone. Um, I had to wait till I was like, or I did wait till I was like 20 to get a cell phone. But kids, you know, you got to wait till you're 16 before you can drive. And then you can't wait to get out of the house and go to college or get your own place. And truth be told, your parents can't wait for you to also get out of the house. And I think kids look at adulthood as, as if it's going to be like the end of all waiting. Like as soon as I turn 18 and as soon as I move out and get my own place, I'm not going to have to wait for anything. <clears throat> i can order a pizza like that. But all you adults... Didn't laugh at that because you know it's not true. With adulthood comes all sorts of waiting. Um, we could, theoretically, for the most part, do whatever we want, whenever we want, depending on how much money is in our bank account and depending on how much trouble we're willing to get in with the law or with our spouse. Um, but we know that there are just inescapable moments of waiting that come with being an adult. You might graduate high school, but then you've got to go through college or start a career or start a job, and you got to, if you're looking for a job, you got to wait for a callback from the job interview, and you've got to, if you get the job, you got to wait for a promotion, you got to wait for the promotion to get the raise, and then if you really bide your time, well, you can get retirement, and then after you retire, you know, you might wait a little while longer, and at some point, maybe you'll get Social Security, and so just in the, like, the job life, adulthood has way more waiting associated with it Um, and we all wait every day on a daily basis right you talk about traffic you probably hate waiting behind the slow person which is usually me because I kind of drive like a grandma you know you wait for your order at the restaurant you wait in the waiting room at the doctor anybody a lot of people have been sick anybody been waiting in the waiting room at the doctors? I recently took my kids to the doctor for a checkup for them and I forgot to tell the gal at the desk that I was there and that we were there for an appointment and I just thought I'm going to be I'm going to be like the most patient person in the world and so I just came in and plopped down and my kids started playing with the toys in the waiting room and then they got bored with the toys in the waiting room and about 20 minutes later They got really bored with the toys in the waiting room, and about 45 minutes later, the gal at the desk looked at me, and she's like, are you waiting for someone? I was like, well, we had an appointment. She's like, you missed it. (laughs) Totally missed your appointment. So, don't do that. (laughs) Turns out you have to talk to them. Um, So these are all kind of examples of relatively insignificant times of waiting, but we all know that there are big moments of waiting, big, messy, frustrating seasons of waiting, and that's kind of the situation my family's been in for a couple years, and pretty much every time I've preached for the last couple years, I've referred to our life situation because it's been pretty significant for us, and just a brief recap, a couple years ago, we decided to make a big change, sold my business. I came home to homeschool the kids, and my wife went to work full-time, and really kind of in an effort to take a step in a different direction with our life. Um, But this entire two years has really been a a period of waiting because we've known from the start that this season of our life was temporary. The plan ultimately is for my wife to come home and homeschool the kids and for me to work full-time, but we're in this kind of middle space, in the meantime, waiting for things, waiting for things to fall into place. And we're trying to wait actively. We're trying to wait you know not not be passive and sit on our butts we're trying to take steps in certain directions but one of the frustrating things about this season is that we are waiting for clarity we're waiting for sort of an ethereal nebulous ideal we're waiting for direction from god and most recently we decided to take another step in a direction and decided to sell our house in order to try to get our finances in order and provide more possibilities for ourselves. And if any of you have bought or sold a house, you know that that is just a series of moments of waiting. You got to list the house, but if you're like my wife, you've got to wait for your husband to do the repairs before you can take pictures that actually represent the house well. And then you list the house, and then you wait for people to be interested. And you wait for an offer and you get an offer and you counter offer and you wait to hear back about the counter offer and you wait for the inspection to come in to see if this is even going to work or if your house was actually falling down the whole time and you didn't realize it. And you're waiting to close and you really hope you're going to get to close on time and hoping the appraisal is going to come in where it needs to so the whole deal doesn't fall through. And it's just this series of moments of waiting and things have actually gone pretty well for us with with selling the house we we do have it's under contract and now we're waiting to see if it's all going to work out and so in our situation these last couple years of of waiting and just really kind of trying to hang in there one of the biggest challenges is how do we wait well waiting is inescapable it just happens and a lot of it's out of our control No matter how active we are in the times of waiting, sometimes we just don't know how long it's going to take. And so that's what I want to talk about today: is how do we wait well? Because dealing with dealing with those sort of frustrating minor issues like sitting in the waiting room for forty-five minutes—that's one thing. But how about waiting to get pregnant? How about waiting for God to bring you a spouse? Waiting for your kids to kind of turn their lives around, to ditch the bad habits, to ditch the partying, to, to call you, to make an effort to mend a relationship. How about waiting for your husband to deal with his bad habits? How about waiting to hear back about a diagnosis of a loved one so that you know how you'll be able to move forward or if there's even going to be a moving forward with the sickness of a loved one? See, we end up waiting for really serious things, and as a kid, we understand that it's really hard to understand the value of waiting. Kids, you know, my sister and I, when we were kids, we would pester my parents about the Christmas presents under the tree, and I remember this one Christmas, we would, uh, we just bugged my dad. We always got to open one present on Christmas Eve, and we just bugged him bugged him and bugged him to let us open all the presents on Christmas Eve. Have you guys ever done that? Ever let your kids do that? Well, he let us open all of them, and then the next morning, there were none because he actually did let us open all of them, and we were so disappointed. And so I think we, we understand how hard it is for kids to see the value in waiting, but when you look at our culture, we just generally hate waiting. We, you look at how new technology is applied You know, we've got this amazing technology that's given us drones, and we are using it for same-day shipping from Amazon. You know, we've got technology, we've got Bluetooth headsets so that you can talk in the car, and these have been around a long time, but who has the time to wait until the car rides over to talk? And on your iPhone, you've got Siri or some some robot voice that you can talk to and ask it to search for something on the Internet or ask it to make a call because who has the time to type? we generally hate waiting and you see it in our culture all over and so kids have a hard time seeing the value in waiting but us adults are not very much different you can see it in the way products are marketed to us if you start noticing ads and, and commercials how many products out there are meant or services are meant to save time to expedite our lives we've done a lot within our culture to try to avoid waiting and So one of the things, so the big question is kind of, how do we wait well? And particularly as Christ followers, how do we wait well in a world that's in a hurry, in a world that hates waiting? And I think Christmas has a lot to teach us about waiting. Um, Because what we celebrate at Christmas is actually the end of a long season of waiting, isn't it? We sang about it this morning in uh, that Christmas song. There was anticipation, there was, there was a long season of waiting among God's people, among Israel. And in fact, do any of you guys celebrate Advent out there? Some people? It's, we're obviously not a very liturgical church, and so we don't, as a church, celebrate Advent. But Advent is the season uh, that the, a lot of churches have historically s- celebrated. Uh, it's a season leading up to Christmas, and it's a season of preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus and reflecting on the fulfillment of promise, and part of that is waiting. Part of that is waiting well, and leaning, as my wife said this morning, um, rather than distracting ourselves during the waiting, Advent is about leaning into the waiting. Um, And I think that in our efforts to circumvent the seasons of waiting, in our efforts to do away with waiting or distract ourselves during waiting, we really run the risk of missing out on what God has for us in that season. So like I said, Christmas is the end of this long season of waiting, and we're going to do this really zoomed in or zoomed out, fast overview of the story of Israel and the story of God's people in the scripture, Um, going back to Abraham. Abraham was this guy who you've probably heard a lot about, who was super old, and God, this is going to be really fast, God, God made some promises to him. God promised him a land. God promised him he would show him this land, and Abraham didn't have any idea where it was, but God promised it to him. God also promised him that he would make Abraham's offspring into a great nation that would bless all other nations in the world. So Abraham and Sarah are really, really old when they finally have a child. They have Isaac, and Isaac goes on to have a son named Jacob, and Jacob goes on to become Israel, and Israel actually does become a nation. And Israel goes on to have many, many, many seasons of waiting, many trials, many challenges in their life, in the lifespan of Israel. Then you got Moses, and he leads the Israelites out of this season of captivity, one of many seasons of captivity, and then God's going to take them to the promised land, the land God promised, and then they get to wander the desert for 40 years. Talk about some serious waiting. They finally, eventually, the Israelites get to inhabit their land, but they're continually in conflict with other nations, and they have many enemies, and they go through all these periods of time where they are captives, where they're taken as slaves, where they're even exiled from their own land. And you read about it in a lot of passages of Scripture. In fact, lots of the books of the Bible are about these seasons where Israel is in exile or they've been taken captive. And you read these passages, and, and much like the song we sang this morning, there's much crying out to God, much, many times they say, God, how long? When are you going to come through on your promises? Why do we keep tasting the fulfillment of the promise and not getting to have it fully? There was a longing in them. There was a longing for the fulfillment of that original promise that God made to Abraham. And that brings us, really quickly, up to the context for Jesus being born. See, at this point, the anticipation is still there in Israel because they are now occupied by Rome. There's Roman soldiers walking around, bossing Israelites around in their own land. They're still crying out. They're still asking God for salvation from their enemies and for redemption. And and we use those words a lot in context to salvation from our sins and salvation that leads to heaven, and that's obviously part of it. But Israel was crying out for actual, physical, tangible salvation from the hands of their oppressors. And they believed, at least on some level, that that salvation, that redemption was going to come through a Messiah, through a Savior. And so in this waiting, this historical waiting that Israel had been doing all this time, they had been looking forward to a Messiah, and that's Obviously part of what we celebrate at Christmas. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, 25 through 40. If you want to turn there, if not, it'll be on the screen. And this is just, this is after Jesus has been born. Um, Mary and Joseph, his parents, have taken him up to the temple in Jerusalem. And that's where we pick it up here. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped God day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of, Israel, of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So I've always thought Simeon was a pretty awesome character, in partic- in, particularly because of his focus. He, he wants this one thing. He's single-minded, it seems, in his desire. He wants to see the consolation of Israel. And so much so that he's, he's received this promise from God. In my mind, I sort of imagine him making a deal with God. Like, all right, God, just let me see this one thing and I will do whatever you want. Uh, that's not in the scripture. But he's got this promise. And when he sees Jesus, he sees the fulfillment. He recognizes this is what we've been waiting for. This child is the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking forward to. Here is the salvation of Israel. And then, and we see him speaking to that fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. And then we see Anna, this prophet, who uh, is also highly devoted to God, highly devoted to service in the temple. And she goes on to speak to those who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She's speaking. She's recognizing we've been waiting for something, and here it is. And so that's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the fulfillment of a promise. We celebrate the end of waiting. Except then, what happens? Then, at the end of that passage, what's it say? And then the child grew and became strong. We'll go there next, uh, Jason. Let me go back one. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And then, go ahead to that next slide. Then, in the next section of Scripture, it talks about uh, Jesus. Jason, can you go to that next slide, please? And then the next section, we're not going to read. Jesus uh, goes back to the temple as a child with his parents, and they lose him, which is always a funny story. How do you lose a child? We've all lost a child, I think, one time or another, down the grocery aisle. But they come back and find him in the temple and he's asking all these great questions of the rabbis and he's learning. And then it ends with this really interesting, odd statement. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And those verses have always been very confusing to me. Why does Jesus need to grow in stature and wisdom? He was God. That's one of the things we believe as Christians, that he was divine. And yet we see that even Jesus comes on the scene, he fulfills the promise, and then he's got to grow. Then 30 years before he begins his public ministry. I always think it's interesting how little there is that the gospel writers have to say about his first 30 years, and particularly Luke. Luke was known as a, he, he did a lot of research for his gospel. He asked around, and either they didn't find the first 30 years of Jesus' life particularly interesting, or nobody was paying attention. Enough to note it. So, fulfillment, Christmas time, Jesus comes, consolation of Israel. Now wait a little longer. Keep waiting. We don't know what Jesus, because we don't know much about those 30 years of Jesus, we don't know how he felt, what he went through, but we do know that he went through a season of 30 years of waiting to begin his ministry. And then, we'll continue to kind of move pretty quickly, he does his ministry for three years, he calls his 12 disciples, and he gathers more followers around him, and they, being Jews, believed that he, you know, they were looking for a Messiah, and his disciples in particular came to see him as the Messiah, but even they had particular ideas about what kind of Messiah he would be, and you see that in some of their interactions, they're asking Jesus is now the time you're going to establish your kingdom on the earth and we today think of kingdom in a little different terms. I'm pretty sure they thought he was going to go kick Roman butt and like establish a kingdom like through might and strength and force and you see it in other examples of the interchanges between Jesus and his disciples and it seems like he keeps having to point out to them that thing you're waiting for, that type of Messiah isn't coming. This is a kingdom built on service, built on servants' hearts, not might, not strength. That kingdom isn't going to get established that way. But that's what the disciples had been waiting for. And eventually, the disciples, I think, on some level, start to get it. But then, dang it, he's crucified. Whoops. Wasn't supposed to happen that way. Warrior, king, messiahs don't get crucified not by Roman occupiers. So then what? Then come three of probably the longest days of waiting that anybody's ever done. Jesus is in the grave, and his disciples are wondering, what did we get ourselves into? Even Peter denies Jesus because he's realizing this is actually having consequences. This is dangerous to follow Jesus. And so they wait for three days, And then, thankfully, God raises Jesus from the dead. Jesus comes back, and he hangs around for a while with his disciples and continues to teach them, continues to open the scriptures to them. And then he's got to go. Before he goes, he promises that he'll be back, much like Arnold. And he also says, tells them to do something. What did he tell them to go do after he left? Go wait. Go wait, I've got something for you. I'm going to send someone to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. So I'm I'm here, this has been exciting, i got to go. Now go wait. So they go wait. And amazingly, beautifully, the Holy Spirit comes. Another fulfillment of a promise. And then the disciples go on to live their lives and spread the gospel and plant churches. And all the while, I believe, they thought that Jesus would be coming back in their lifetime. I don't know that for sure, but when you read how they talk about the second coming of Jesus, I think they were thinking it was just around the corner. Did he come back? No, he still hasn't come back. We're still hanging on to that promise today. we That's part of Advent, actually. Celebrating Advent is celebrating and reflecting on the first coming of Jesus, but it's also a understanding, it's getting ourselves in a state where we realize we're still preparing ourselves for the second coming. So you've got these disciples who have seen a fulfillment of a promise, and then they've seen that fulfillment be the catalyst for another season of waiting, and another season of waiting. And as theologically accurate band Semisonic once said, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Yeah a song about bars closing. (laughs) So all that overview is kind of to show that in your waiting times in your life, you are connected to the history of God's people, and that may not provide much solace to you. But at least we can look back and say, "This, this seems to be the way God's comfortable working in the world with his people. God seems fine with the seasons of waiting. It's us who have the problem. So waiting well. We've discovered and established that waiting is inescapable. And so how do we do it? How do we do it well? How do we represent Jesus in these times of waiting? And I think that rather than talk about a big list of action steps, though that can be helpful, I want to talk about just our general posture towards these seasons of waiting and towards our posture towards God in these seasons of waiting. And a good question to ask ourselves is, if you could skip the seasons of waiting, would you? If God showed up, if God, you know, burst in through the wall like the Kool-Aid guy and said, I'm willing to let you skip these seasons of waiting, would you? And if you are thinking that that sounds an awful lot like the plot of an Adam Sandler movie, you're right. Anybody see click? Not his finest hour, but. Would we skip forward? Would we skip forward to the goal? Would we skip forward to the fulfillment of the promise? And that's not really an option per se, but it's an interesting thought experiment. And if you were to ask me that question, and if it were a real possibility, given my current situation in life, it would really depend on the day, wouldn't it? Some days I feel like I'm doing waiting better than other days. And some days I just want to zoom forward to the time when I've got the job that I want. And when my wife gets to be home, homeschooling the kids with the family like that, I, want, I would love to skip those times. Because like children, us, for us adults, it's really, really, really difficult to see the value in waiting seasons until they're past. It's really only in hindsight that we can even see clearly or see at all what God was doing in those seasons. When you're in the middle of it, it's just annoying. It's just frustrating. Think of, think of King David. King David was anointed at around age 15 to become king of Israel. And then he gets to wait for 15 years before he actually gets to become king. That's a pretty significant period of waiting, and some of, some of our Bible tells us about that period of waiting. And what we see there in David, I think, is that he saw some potential in the time between the promise, between the plan and the fulfillment of the plan. And so we see these moments of him, particularly. there's this interaction with, or this, this situation where he's in a cave and he sees King Saul, who's been trying to, kill him he's hunting him you know he's he's wants david dead and david has this opportunity to sneak up on him and he could slit his throat he could kill him he could end his waiting right then and he was even being encouraged by his guys to do it by his friends said yeah here's your chance god in fact they saw it as god's delivering saul into his hands they said here's the end this could be the end of your waiting david kill him And so what's David do? He goes and cuts a corner off of Saul's garment. And then after Saul leaves the cave, he kind of is like, Saul, waves the cloth at him. And even after that, we see that David felt bad. David felt guilt for having done something to the Lord's anointed. We see this incredible moment of David's breaching. He's going past his own integrity. And there's moment after moment like that. So that by the time he actually becomes king, hopefully he's a little more kingly. See, part of waiting well is seeing that these seasons of waiting have potential in them. We're going to look at uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And there could be a big old amen with like 100 exclamation points after that, right? Because that's the good news we celebrate at Christmas. And in that passage, we can see, and if we can become people of faith, We can see that God had a plan. That's part of what we celebrate at Christmas. God had a plan. And it says, when the set time had fully come. You remember that scene in Lord of the Rings when Gandalf shows up and Frodo sort of chastises him for being late and Gandalf says, a wizard's never late. I wish he would have said it with that weird accent. But that's kind of the thing here. God's timing is God's timing and we don't understand it. But we don't do very well when we push against it either. God had a plan and when the time was right, when God saw that all the pieces were in place, that's when he sent his son. And you could do a really there's an interesting study you can do about how culturally and historically the pieces were in place in such a way that it allowed the gospel message to go forth into the world in a way that if this had happened just a hundred years earlier, it would have been much more difficult for the gospel message to spread. and Obviously, we're not going there today, but it would be fun. So we're going to look at now Romans eight twenty four through 28. This is the message paraphrase. Um, so this may read a little differently than you're used to. <clears throat> it says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Is this the message paraphrase? I don't know if it is. That's all right. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I'm going to go ahead and read the message paraphrase because it sheds a little different light on this. Uh, It says, All around us, we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs. But it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us. But the longer we wait, the larger we become and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition, and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. So how about you mothers out there? Would you, if you could, would you have skipped the nine months leading up to the birth of your children. Maybe, maybe the first trimester, maybe the third trimester. How about husbands, fathers out there? Would you skip the nine months? Don't answer it. As painful as those nine months are for our mothers, they we've come to understand how important that nine months is in the bonding of the mother to the child. The child has to grow. It's protected from the world. It's not ready. It's being prepared for something, right? It really boils down to how we see the times of waiting. Does it serve a purpose? Is God using this to strengthen me, to develop me, to prepare me for something else? In, in my season of waiting recently, I've been at my best when I've been open to what God might be doing in me in the season, and I've been at my worst when I've had my head in the sand or when I've tried to distract myself as opposed to leaning into the waiting. But we all know that's how we grow is through resistance, right? You don't get big muscles unless you do some form of resistance, lift weights that you couldn't previously lift. We grow when we're pushed, if we let ourselves. And so part of waiting well is waiting actively. You could, we could wait passively, and that's when I've been at my worst, is just waiting around and hoping, I mean, kind of hoping, but sort of losing sight of the hope even, and just sort of waiting, just sitting on my butt. Not really doing anything, not leaning into the waiting, just waiting. But if we can learn to wait actively, I think we can come to see the seasons of waiting as something that's actually good for us. And part of that active waiting is something that doesn't seem particularly active, but it's waiting receptively. It's having a posture of receptivity, of open hands towards God, towards the situation saying, okay, what are you handing me in this season, God? Are you giving me something here? Help me recognize what it is you want me to learn By taking that posture of receptivity, we can be open to what God is doing, what the Holy Spirit is working in us. If we stay closed off and have our arms crossed, put our head in the sand, then it's hard to learn. It's hard to to grab hold of what God actually has for us. look at Romans 5, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. For some of you out there, your season of waiting is suffering. It is painful really difficult and we do well if we're honest about it. But we can trust if we believe the scripture, if we let God work this out in us, we can let that season of suffering, that painful waiting process actually grow us, actually develop something in us, actually produce something. Sometimes the seasons of waiting feel so unnecessary and we can't understand what are you doing, God? You had to do that? And yet, Scripture tells us that God actually wants to do something with the season. He wants to work perseverance in us, and a perseverance that develops into character and and hope, ultimately. I asked my kids this morning what the hardest part of waiting was. And after thinking hard for a few moments, they just said, how long it takes? That's, That's what's so hard about it, how long it takes. I don't think we get much more of an honest answer than that. And that's one of the really difficult parts of waiting. And waiting well is we don't know when it's going to end. And honestly, we don't know if it's going to end. We don't know if we are going to see the end of our waiting. It's not so bad in the coffee shop when you're waiting for your name to be called or waiting for an oil change because it might take longer than you want, but you know you're going to get your drink and you know you're going to get your oil changed and you're going to get your car back. We don't know about the end of some of our seasons of waiting. Abraham did not actually see the fulfillment of the promise while he was alive. Moses didn't even get to go into the promised land, the, the land that was promised. He didn't get to see it. And we'll look at Hebrews 11, 11 through 16. And it's this amazing chapter a lot of us are familiar with about faith and people of faith. Can you have faith even though you may not get to see the promise, even though you may die without the promise in hand? If we can learn to wait well, if we can learn to follow in the footsteps of these people, then we can be connected to them in that way, in that sense. And we can also be people of faith. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this quote about Waiting. He a, was a German theologian uh, in the 1940s, and he says, "...the blessedness of waiting is lost on those who cannot wait, and the fulfillment of promise is never theirs. They want quick answers to the deepest questions of life and miss the value of those times of anxious waiting. Seeking with patient uncertainties until the answers come, they lose the moment when the answers are revealed in dazzling clarity." See, we have to come to see the blessedness of waiting. We have to see that there is a blessing for us in there. And particularly, we as Christians should be able to recognize that. That's actually our history. That's our heritage. So back to our question. If you could skip the waiting times, would you? What if the Bible had all the waiting times cut out of it? How big would it be? How helpful would it be? I don't know. What would we see? We'd be, we'd have highlights. We'd have the fulfillments. We'd see the fulfillments, but they wouldn't make any sense to us because we wouldn't see how long it took to get to the fulfillment, and we wouldn't see how momentous the end of certain seasons of waiting was, and we wouldn't have the innumerable lessons that have been shared with us that have only been learned in those seasons of waiting. So thank God that he didn't spare his people from the waiting seasons. And we have to come to learn to thank God that he doesn't spare us from our own seasons of waiting. See, waiting time is not wasted time. A person on the internet said, that I don't remember their name. See, while we don't have a remote control like Adam Sandler and God's not offering to let us skip the waiting times, we can kind of skip the waiting times. We can distract ourselves. We can avoid them We can be closed off to God. But our call as Christians in the world, I think, is to be anchors of peace. It's to be people who understand that the waiting serves a purpose. See, there's one of those verses we read talks about all creation groaning. The world is waiting in anticipation, not just people, not just Israel, but the world. And you look at the news and you look at what's happening in places we can't, you know, with names we can't pronounce, and you look at, ISIS and you look at Aleppo and you look at these, tra- these tragedies going on in the world. You look at how some people have, many of my friends have responded in light of the recent election. They think everything's going to hell no matter which side they're on. People are confused. People are concerned and they're groaning. They're waiting. They're waiting for something. They're waiting for hope. They're waiting for life. And ultimately, we are waiting for a culmination to all this. We are waiting for Jesus to return. We are waiting for the end of waiting. That's where we find ourselves. And so what's our call as Christians? What's our, not just our duty, but what's the opportunity before us? When we see our friends not knowing how to handle the situations in the world, not knowing what to do, and so they want to jump to quick answers, like Bonhoeffer says, they want to... They want to make the waiting go away. They want to find a reason for the waiting. They want to understand it. That's where we have opportunity. If we can learn to wait well, I think we can earn credibility with our friends and our neighbors and our family because I think they'll come to see in us a peace that they don't understand. That peace of the Holy Spirit that we claim to have that is accessible to us. That's the challenge before us. How do we wait well? You don't get to escape it. God didn't spare his people from it, and he doesn't spare us from it. But when we look at Christmas, when we look at what happened after Jesus left and with the promised Holy Spirit, we, look that we see that God has given us what we need. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. But it's our responsibility to walk in it. So let's stand, and let's be done. Lord God, thank you, thank you Lord that you did not spare your people from the waiting and from the frustration of anticipating something far off and thank you for the lessons we get to glean from their experiences. I pray that you would bring us patience through your spirit, bring us wisdom as I prayed this morning that you would help us to see with clarity Maybe not exactly what you're doing, but that you want to do something through the seasons of waiting. And help us to be receptive to that. Help us to be open to what your Spirit is doing in us and what your Spirit is doing through us. Amen. For more information, visit our website at www.mounthelena.cc Download our mobile app available in iTunes and Google Play. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Facebook.